And we're live here. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. I'm Yes. And we're joined by the good <laughs> folks here of the Bluesmen. We have a uh, co-writer, hey. Michael Hall, an actor. How are you? Co-writer oh, yeah. co and director, Eric Wayne Jones. Hello. Hello. And our good friend, Hello, John Eric. Dugan. Hey! Yay! Good to see everybody. <laughs> this is very exciting. Nice Thanks to everyone you. For Thanks, you all, for being here. You're looking yeah, great, Neil. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're looking good as, as well. I have to admit, I, I, some, I have a, uh, this is my first podcast, so bear with me. <laughs> That's all right. Sorry. Maybe it'll be your last. I, have like, a, I never uh, want to do one of these again. <laughs> I highly doubt that. We got many, many more to go. <laughs> so what were oh. you saying, John? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, I was saying I have a CT scan tomorrow. And uh, the oncologist says it's, it's clean this time. I probably will never see him again. Oh, good. Which is fantastic. Oh, yeah, man. That's fantastic news. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was seeing my surgeon a lot, and then the last time I said, I hope to never see you again. And he he, he didn't laugh, but yeah. I thought he would understand the joke. But <laughs> he had no sense of humor. But, yeah, but I'm, I'm fine, that's, that's the main thing. Uh, so anyway, yeah. the Bluesman, uh, could you give everyone an idea of what the Bluesman is going to be? Mm. Well, Eric, do you want me to, or do you want to, take the lead on it or what do you well, want to do um it's about two great grave robbers who still robert johnson's guitar only to have the devil's curse visit upon him um the movie uh takes place in two time periods similar to like uh what godfather 2 did we have some flashbacks uh so there's the modern day story and then there's about four or five flashbacks to robert johnson and what happened to him um, as far as the legend goes, we took liberties with it. It's not an, you know, it's, it's not in any way an accurate documentary on, on Robert Johnson. We're, we're just kind of expanding on the lo loosely on the legend that's been created over the years. Um, but these two grave robbers, um, they're just kind of low life outlaws and barely getting by and they get hired by this man who thinks that, uh, or he, he needs them to retrieve, uh, Robert's guitar for them promises to pay him $50,000 and they, uh, they go and do it. And then they discover who Robert Johnson is and that the guitar is worth a lot more than, than what he's paying him. And they decide to try and screw the guy over. Well, it turns out the guy that hired him is the devil and he unleashes all this hell upon him at the last third of the film. Yeah. I was... <laughs> so you guys, uh, yeah. co I love the laugh and I hope, I hope we, I hope you heard that laugh and you incorporated it in the movie. <laughs> oh, it'll be in there. <laughs> uh, so you guys co-wrote it together. So uh, had you worked together previously? How how did you meet? Uh, actually, I'll take on this one, man. Um, I this actually started for me five years ago. Uh, uh, I had been working on another film called Something in the Woods, and. Uh, we were getting set to premiere that film and I had a phone call come in this guy that I had met briefly on a set 
two or three years previous, <clears throat> uh, he he contacted me. And we talked, and uh, and he said, I, I, "I said I'm going to throw you an idea, just kind of give you this idea." And he gave me just the basic kernel of the story. I mean, just or the idea of it. And we started trying to collaborate, put something together, and it just kind of never, you know, it just kind of laid there. It didn't do anything, and we, and it, I, you know, it just wasn't working. And uh, a couple of times we'd go into it, and it, it never wound up being a complete script. And uh, so I, I would get it, pick it up for a while, then walk away from it. And, and then uh, uh, about a year and a half, maybe nearly two years ago, uh, I went to L.A. And I was out there for three weeks. And I was staying with a friend of mine in Hollywood. <clears throat> and it was a Sunday, and I didn't have anything to do. And, I just, and he literally lived a block off of Hollywood. And three blocks from uh, Grauman's and and the uh, Kodak Theater and all that. So I just went for a walk and I went down, looked at the footprints and stuff in front of Grauman's and took a bunch of pictures. Got back to the apartment, went up to the roof, was going to have a beer on the roof overlooking Hollywood and just thinking, you know, what I was trying to do. And you know, I got on Facebook and I posted those pictures and I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. Uh, there's a guy that's a director from Texas and producer director from Texas saw that and he goes and liked it. He goes, Hey man, you're only like three blocks from me. <laughs> you want to have a meeting? And I said, sure. Yeah, great. So, uh, we have to have this meeting and, and he said, what you got? And I pitched him the blues man and a couple of other things. And he went back to the blues man. And he goes, he said, that's a story. He said, where's the script? You got it with you? And I said, no, it's on my computer back home. He goes, Go back home. I said, well, it's not finished. He goes, go back home and finish it. And so I did. And uh, flew back home, came back home, sat down, just pounded out, just tried to uh, My wife actually made me rewrite the ending of it a couple of times. Uh, she didn't like the way it ended. And so uh, it, it just kind of died. It, nothing, he, could, he couldn't do anything with it, and it was just kind of, eh, you know. And so I got – I was just doing – whatever I could to keep my sanity. And I started doing a play here, a local community theater play of 12 angry men with a gentleman named Larry LeMaster. And Larry brought a buddy of his named Eric Wayne Jones to one of the performances. And uh, we met in the lobby after the show and just kind of hit it off and started talking about, Oh, you write. Oh, Hey, look, I got a script and you Oh, you've got a script. Oh, hey, well, how about let's trade scripts and you read mine, I read yours, and and the next thing you know, we're uh, we're uh, doing serious rewrites on the Blues Man, and and it's just been, you know, from there, you know, uh, John actually read uh, the draft before uh, Eric came on and was already on board, so. You remember so how yeah, that's how it all kind of came in there? Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just asking John if you remembered, you know, the, connecting with you and uh, reading the draft and what, what he thought of it. Well, I loved it. Oh, <laughs> you know, I thought this is – I did a lot of fucking garbage. But, you know, <laughs> uh -huh. and uh, uh, so I immediately fell in love with the story. Uh oh Unfort just uh, thrown out there, uh, John's not on the best connection. So, uh, so if, if we lose yeah. John yeah. momentarily during the show, that's why he's not hanging up on us. 
No, no. Or maybe he is. He's just using the connection uh, excuse. Uh, can you see me? Uh, no, we can hear you though. We can hear you. Yeah. Well, what the hell? Yeah, I don't know. I'm <laughs> sad here. There. How can you there see me? Yep. Yeah. We can see you now. Uh, yeah. And how I, uh, I think, it's been a while, but I think uh, Tim O'Saban uh, suggested me yeah. to Mike Hall. And Mike got in touch with me, or I got in touch with Mike. <laughs> it had something to do with Tim O'Saban. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it goes back to the other film I was telling you about, Something in the Woods. Tim O'Sabin, uh, they have the, he has a podcast called The Tim O and Harley Show, and they do movie reviews like they'll do like two different films. They'll do like a, a 1940s or 50s horror movie or something, and then they'll do one that's kind of modern. And uh, they, they had done a double bill Bigfoot thing where they had done a, 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 a a review of yeah. one from the sixties and then He's they did hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Just so you know. And so, so, uh, uh, so no, they, so the movie came out and they did a review of it and, uh, I contacted them and said, thanks. They gave us a great review. And so, uh, I just said, thank you and everything. They asked me to come on the show. And, and when they asked me things I was working on, and at that time I was, writing it and told them and that and uh, that's uh, when they said uh, Tim goes well man you need to talk to John Dugan and he put me in touch with John well that was pretty cool that was I was like really <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I was scared I shit lounging by his lounging by the pool O'Saban's pool mm-hmm <laughs> yeah, as you often are. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so who's John? What's John playing in, in the film? Or who is John playing in the film? I'm playing a uh, Crawford. Uh, is a owns a local pawn shop in a small town, and uh, he fences. Uh, he's a local fence, and he's really kind of. Under these two, these two low-life scumbags, uh, he's kind of under there. So they just tell him how much he's, he's going to pay him for shit and everything, you know. And uh, <laughs> under threat of, you know, watch out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> under threat of physical violence. Let's just put it that way. And um, he ends up with uh, the Tarsies. And somebody, not very nice person, comes looking for her. So, and uh, so, <laughs> I don't know how much I'm allowed to. Say. Yeah, right. We don't want to spoil the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. you got to keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, spoil it. 
And for for people not aware, no, uh, obvious John Dugan is is in the movie, and uh, so is Ed Neal from uh, Texas from Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well, and Bill Mosley from Part Two, which I I, I think it's his birthday today. Is it yeah. Bill's birthday it's today? His birth- yeah, it's his birthday. It is. Today. Oh, happy birthday, Bill happy Mosley. birthday! Make sure happy birthday, Bill Mosley. Yes, we're excited about uh, about the fact, and like I said, it's kind of serendipity how everything kind of happened. How how did we get? How did we get this? Texas Chainsaw Trifecta, as I like to call it. And yeah, it's actually <laughs> just by accident, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, it really so it is. The, the story with the way of connecting, I mean, when I came on board, I came on board originally as a writer on this thing to help rewrite it and just, you know, doctor up what, what Mike had yep. and, and uh, shape it into a feature film. And then back in February, he asked me if I was interested in directing it. And actually, at the time, I was pursuing two other movies. And I was like, well, I'll direct whichever one we get the money for first. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so we uh, we moved forward with uh, the Blues Man while developing the other projects. And, you know, we started. We, so then COVID hit and, you know, the lockdown came about. And instead of sitting around and doing nothing and, you know, just kind of waiting for things to happen, we decided to kind of just start doing things and you know usually there's a process to doing a movie you know you you write the script you get the financing on board then you start casting it and you start looking for locations kind of did it backwards because we didn't have the financing yet we had a little bit in place but um during the lockdown we were just like i want to sit around and just wait for this to you know uh let up and and then do everything so we kind of we started looking for locations. We got about 95% of them locked in in the city of Ennis, which is about 30 minutes south of Dallas, going towards Houston. And uh, then we decided to start casting. Uh, we already had three roles cast when I came on board, uh, and that was John, uh, Mike Hall, and a young, wonderful, talented young lady named uh, Katie Lynn. And she's actually uh, also doing a couple of songs for the film as well. Oh, nice. uh, she was on America's Got Talent in 2016 as one of the finalists. and. She's been doing really well in the country music scene and kind of an up and comer. Um, and uh, so then we started casting some of the roles. And one of the roles that we were casting was uh, Edgar's cousin, Alan Wallace, who's also the other grave robber. He's kind of a backwoods redneck. And we started looking at <laughs> <for> the <laughs> yeah, Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> just a little. And, uh, just a little bit. I'm already and, as we were going to the audition, a gentleman by the name of Mark Dalton sent us his information, and we went ahead and had him uh, audition, and he nailed it. I mean, it was beyond what I imagined Edgar awesome. Allen to be. Awesome audition. And, and it just so happened that his wife, his wife's father, father is Edward Neal. So he's like, Edwin, you've got to read this script. This, this part's perfect for you. And there, Gary Gein, um, Gary Gein is the third man that goes on the, the, the quest to get Robert Johnson's grave or get Robert Johnson's guitar at his grave. And um, he's really heavily into smelling dead people and just loves being around cemeteries. Really not too much of a stretch from the hitchhiker, I guess, <laughs> from Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> That uh, Edwin, I thought you were saying not really stretch from Ed, but I was like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, and so, (laughs) so then Edwin read this well known necrophilia, (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And uh, he loved it and wanted to do it and came on board. And uh, and then in the process of talking with Edwin, and it wasn't just Edwin, it was also with John. And there were a number of other people that kept saying, well, you know who would be great for Scratch is Bill Mosley. And yeah. um, I was like, okay, well, how do we get in touch with him? And, and Edwin's like, well, I know him. John said he knew him. And so everybody started reaching out to him and uh, finally got a hold of his agent. And she had him uh, read the script and came back and said he absolutely loved it and wanted to do it. And so everybody that's joined this project so far has read this script and they just fall in love with it. And we're not trying to yeah. toot our own horn here or anything, but it's just, it's really, really uh, fascinating story. And uh, the way yeah, it's written. that's how we've gotten everybody on board. We've done this with little to no money so far. And, um, you know, of course, now we're at the point where I'm telling everybody, okay, we need the financing now. Um, we were meeting yeah. with financiers before and they kept telling me, well, you need to get a name on board. You need to get a name on board, you know, an A or B lister. And so I started reaching out to A listers. And of course, none of them really do movies with a budget as low as ours. But um, I did talk to a number of them and everybody was interested. But, you know, I was able to get it through to Bill without us having to, you know, commit to or without him knowing, well, without him uh, knowing that we don't have the budget in place yet, yeah, or we do have the budget, but we don't have the, the the financing. And so I was able to, you know, talk to his agent and get him on board and explain all of that. So I could go back to these investors and start saying, okay, well, you told me to get a name. I got the name now. So show me the money. <laughs> right. And that's where we're at at this point right now. So. Yeah. Uh, Tristan, do you have a question? Are you guys blues fans? And if you are, who are uh, your favorite artists? I am. Uh, uh, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, well, I kind of, I'm kind of an electric guy, so I, I don't go, maybe I go back a little bit and I love what Robert Johnson did, but I'm kind of a muddy waters kind of guy. If it goes that far back, I'm, you know, I'm kind of an electric guy. I like Muddy Waters and uh, Alan Wolf and uh, boom, 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 boom. there's a few others. I, I run off the top of my head. Uh, but acoustically, it's always Robert and then everybody else and a different group for me. But, yeah, you can just, you know, he's he's also known as the grandfather of rock and roll, so it's okay. I, I you know, you have Eric Clapton as a fan. I'm, you're okay. <laughs> John, did you have any favorites? Uh, well, I, I, when I left home at 18 years of age <laughs> to set off into the world, <laughs> I um, I moved to Chicago. And, uh, boy, there was a lot of blues, and, uh, particularly back in those days in Chicago, a little blues club. There was... Uh, there was one in my neighborhood called Alice's Revisited that uh, you brought your own uh, you didn't have a, a, a liquor license but you could bring your own uh, bring your own booze in cool. and it paid uh, you know a, a door fee and there were just long picnic tables kind of and they used to have a lot of blues I saw uh, Big Walter Horton, Harry Bell, 
Sunny Lion Slim there. A lot of old, older blues guys, you know. And then when when Chicago Fest started in the, uh, oh, like 1980, I guess. Then there was, uh, you could always catch me hanging out in the blues stage, you know. Because the way it was set up then, a Navy Pier, which is, Navy Pier is a mile long, and it juts out into uh, Lake Michigan. And as you would walk down the pier, you'd walk from one, you know, it was the rock stage, the blues stage, the country stage, that sort of thing. And the main stage was where big names, I, I saw Ray Charles there. But um, uh, I would always hang out by the, uh, I'd get off of work. If I was working day shift downtown, waiting tables, I'd get off work and just walk over there. Um, and just catch some music because it went all day, every day long, you know, for half the damn summer. Um, so I caught a lot of live, live blues as a, as a younger man. <laughs> I played, uh, I used to, again, since my surgery, I used to play the uh, blues harp, but I'm afraid to try, you know. I didn't know I'll find out. Did you ever? Did you uh, play with it with uh, Dead Dick? Any uh, music? I know you. You know you're friends with him and would go over to his studio. <clears throat> no, I've done vocal work. I've done backup vocals for him and stuff. And uh, but I've never made. Uh, I don't ever played anything. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that uh, one of the actresses is doing some of the music in the movie. Like, uh, who else is involved for, for the music? You know, especially for the blues part. Or will you have blues music uh, in the movie? I guess. <clears throat> oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, uh, the music is going to be just as much a part of the the story uh, as as anything else in it. Uh, yeah. So right now we have uh, four songs. Or I'm sorry, five songs that are officially recorded, and um, we just recently, in the last uh, month, brought on board a composer named Brandon Maz, who's going to be overseeing and kind of tying in some of the 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 songs into the themes that he's going to be composing for the film, as well as writing music with whoever is going to play Robert Johnson. Uh, we are going to try and at least acquire one of Robert Johnson's songs and use it in the film if we can. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're taking a liberty because he only has 29 recorded songs that are known uh, out there at this point. But, you know, they say that he sang hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs. And so we're going to kind of take liberties with a couple of those songs and do some original Robert Johnson music as well as trying to use one of his original or one of his songs in the film. Um, but uh, as far as the Katie Lynn is the young lady that uh, is doing one of the songs with Doug Allen. Um, it's more of a contemporary folk sounding song, kind of haunting, uh, chilling uh, uh, song. And she actually, you know, like I said earlier, does country music and her songs are all really happy, you know, fun, feel good country songs. Um, but her, her character, she's really more of a cameo in the film. She shows up in two different time periods and it's kind of ambiguous as to what she is. Um, and then, uh, Dr. Wu is another one. 
who's doing the songs. Uh, Jim Ashworth and Donnie Pendleton are part of that group, and they're fantastic. It's kind of a mixture of blues and hard country, if you want to say. Is that how you would describe it, Mike? Uh, well, they have their I – mean, Dr. Wu is a uh, – well, Dr. Wu is, is actually two guys. It's Brian Freeze and, and, and Jim Ashworth. And, and what they do is they write a bunch of songs, usually blues, like a Texas kind of uh, um, Texas blues, like an early, early version of uh, ZZ Top, okay, yeah. uh, kind of blues. Uh, and they have all these guys that live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that are these uh, world-class musicians who toured with everybody from uh, Linda Ronstadt to Willie Nelson and, you know, I mean, and everybody in between. And some of them have played on Grammy award-winning records. And what Jim and Brian do is they just call their buddies and say, Hey man, I got all these songs. Let's go make an album. And they go make an album and they, they don't tour. They don't do anything like that, but they, they I think they do like one or two concerts a year locally. And they, and they have these CDs that they sell. Uh, of the their original music that they've recorded <clears throat> and that's about it but they are phenomenal and so again it was kind of the situation jim uh, uh wasn't really sure he wanted to be involved with the movie until he read a couple of pages of the script and then went where, where can i read the rest of this <laughs> and and uh, they they said hey man here it is, and, and here's the guy, and he contacted me and asked me, and I sent the script, and he, called, and he read through it in one, in one afternoon and called me and said, how do I get involved? What, what can I do? How do I need to what, – what, is there something we can do? So I said, look, we're going to need some original music and stuff. You know, he, I, he was on it, you know, <clears throat> and I recommended a guy that I had worked with in a short film like 10 years ago great guitar player in fact he was uh nominated la guitarist of the year like in 2014 or something uh donnie pendleton and i said do you want to get with donnie because he's a great guitar player and great and he knows a lot of blues stuff so donnie and he got together and wrote a song uh entitled scratch for our character of the devil so they wrote that and that's they're, they're actually putting the polishing uh on it right now so but that's done it's a it's an awesome song i mean just the demo on it when he when he got done with that was wow yeah that so, song's more of a it's not really blues it's more of a throwback to 80s yeah. rock you know um but we have a lot of blues too yeah uh we have country blues we're gonna have some jazz in there um you know a little bit of mixture especially with it being in the 1930s because that's when jazz music was kind of the thing Blues had yet to kind of swing onto the scene. Uh, John, I, you know, obviously you see uh, when you could do conventions, you'd see Ed and, and Bill, you know, at all these conventions. And uh, had you worked with them very much uh, since? Well, you, you didn't work with Bill in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but have you worked with them very often? I know you did uh, Butcher Boys. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Ed and I uh, had a scene on Butcher Boys together. And uh, uh, Bill and I worked on uh, Chainsaw 3D together. Oh, that's right, yeah. But other than that, <clears throat> uh, no, I haven't really. Nah, 
<laughs> I haven't worked with either of them. It'll be the first time all three of them are together yeah. in a film. Let's just put it yeah. that way. Yeah. And That's like I was cool. saying earlier, it just kind of happened by accident. It's really kind of kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, the chain of events occurred. Now, 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 getting Bill on board, there's a funny story behind that, too, because uh, prior to all of that, or just, I mean, just prior to that, Edwin... Uh, Ed Neal was uh, at a horror convention that was taking place in Phoenix for a week. And it just so happened they set his table and his booth right next to Bill Mosley's. And uh, <clears throat> he said uh, about 80% of the people coming through both of our lines kept asking, when are y'all going to do a movie together? When are you going to do a movie? <laughs> and, and, Edwin, <clears throat> and Edwin would turn to Bill and go, yeah. Well, we're going to do a movie together. Because <laughs> he'd already been telling him about the blues man and all this other stuff. And John had already, uh, that was when you had sent him the, the message. And he had responded saying that he was he would be interested, just run it past, you know, uh, uh, his agent. And uh, and you'd forward, you had forwarded that to me. And then that next week was when right. Edwin was with him in uh and Edwin had already signed on and was excited and said, and already said, I'm going to talk to him, you know? And, uh, and so he had already was kind of, you know, telling him about it. And then they all, the, he said, just the fans sitting there going, yeah, when are you going to do a movie together? And he said, yeah, when are we going to do a movie together, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing you know, uh, it's, uh, it's on, you know, and here we are. And, uh, <clears throat> it's exciting, man. I, I, just I, I'd never in a million years dreamed, you know, that it would get be at this point, and we and we still are trying to get people to get excited about it. It's like, what is? What do we got to do? Well, you we're know. getting a lot of people excited about it. It's just you know, money is tight right now everywhere because of what's going on in the world. Well, um, yeah. But my my thing is is that Hollywood's been shut down for almost a year now. Um, I mean, they have things backlogged. Everything that was supposed to come out this year is going to be pushed back to next year or whatever. Yeah. But there's eventually going to be a void at one point here in the next year or so. Even if they were to start going back to work in January, February, or March, there's going oh, to be a vast void of, of films coming out. And we are hoping to have this film done and take advantage of that and just you know have the right timing to get this out there. Because... You know, I'm not saying this because we're making this, whether I was directing it or not. I mean, this is a film that I'm excited to just see. And it's, again, everybody that's read the script has loved it. And it's it's got the potential to be something special once we get it out there. I really think that. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that we're trying to pull off, <laughs> you know, we're trying to pull off a $20 million movie for less than a million dollars. And yeah. I, yeah. We're able. We're we're already on our way to doing that because of just everything that's been given to us at this point, yeah. so. and the people that are, then the people that have gotten excited about it. Uh, uh, we just got to get the. I was going to say we got to get the right person excited right. about it. the one, the one <laughs> with the pockets, and you know, we're the very on. deep ones. Yeah, okay. uh, and we're working on that. Yeah, we are. We are. And uh, but but uh, man, if you can't, if you, I mean, I. I if you can't be excited about Bill Mosley and Edwin Neal and John Dugan all being in a movie. Okay. So let's throw in some cool, badass blues music, that original stuff, man. Let's, 
let's 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 just you know then you know right. let's throw this in and make it that you know so and, it, and also this film it's 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 kind of got you know independent films cross over they're not just one genre a lot of times right you know that's one of the things we ran into with financiers and investors saying well what is your specific category of this film is it a horror film is it a thriller is it a drama is it a musical i'm like well, it's actually all of them <laughs> you know um, yeah and, because really the flashback scenes are very green mile feel you know they have that that feel to them kind of and then the modern day story is very tarantino-ish very dark everybody's trying to outdo the other person or screw the other person over and then you get to the last act and the last act is just a balls out evil dead horror you know bloodbath and so it's really hard to just get people on board everybody wants something categorized in one specific way nowadays and you can't really do that with this particular film yeah i always mention i mean that's why like uh festivals a lot is uh, it's a lot of movies that don't fit in one genre and i've i i never quite understand people who are really fixated on like a genre of a film like i I never understand why it really matters if you like the movie like the movie do you suddenly not like it if it's horror or if it's a thriller or you know what i mean so i i never really get that but i know with a lot of people they're just fixated on you know it has to be like uh you know a certain genre or has to be tell me it's like this movie or that movie and uh, I, i never quite understand that but I know you yeah, have to deal well, with it, is unfortunately. Hollywood's gotten really bad about that just because of marketing in general. But I don't know. We're I think we're I think we are on the verge, and I keep telling everybody this. We're on the verge of seeing a new Hollywood because movies have gotten so expensive to go to. Theaters are fighting for their survival right now with what's going on already. And they were kind of fighting beforehand because people and, and I'm talking about just people I know that aren't in the business. I talk to them, they don't go to the movies anymore because it's so expensive to take everybody to the film, to a, a film on a Saturday afternoon. So, you know, one of the things is I think, you know, if, if these productions can start being made for a lower cost, you can get people back in the theaters instead of trying to recoup $200 million, you know, make a movie for 50 million and charge eight bucks to get back in instead of 15 to $20 a seat to get in. Um, I don't know, I could be dreaming, but what I was getting at was, I kind of feel like we're on the verge of you know, in the early 70s, you had the, the, the revolution of Spielberg and, and, and Scorsese and Lucas and all those guys swing onto the scene. And then in the early 90s, you kind of had the same thing happen again with Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and Brian Singer and all those people. And I think we're on the verge of something like that happening. Because so many people I talk to are just tired of all the sequels and the prequels and the remakes and the reimaginings and the reboots and you know, develop this into a series. And, you know, Hollywood's been going by a lot of that because – that's what they think, according to all these marketing groups and focus groups, everybody wants to see, but everybody's tired of seeing it. So I hope we have something here that can be fresh and original and new. And- well, Hollywood needs to, um, the business people need to stick to business and the creatives need to stick to their creatives. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't even do that. And what has happened is the business people the business people try to get creative. Yeah. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So yes. we're on the verge of seeing some change yeah. here. I don't know what, but hopefully we'll be a part of that. <laughs> I, I hope so. 
I, that was a good honestly that's a good point by john is because uh, i always assume that if you are are you know, if you have artistic mindset it seems to me not always but you're not always the best uh on the business end i think it's probably because you're not necessarily interested in it so you're not going to really you know right pursue that uh and then reverse of that if you have a good sign you know if you have a good mind for business stuff that doesn't mean uh, it's probably you're probably don't have the mind on the artistic end not that it's impossible but it's it's probably uh tristan oh go on sorry well no i was just going to say for me it's as an actor it's tough for me to sit on the business side of things and understand everything and and not go crazy because I and, and it just drives me nuts. I'd rather be on the creative side. That's the more of who I am. But you have to find that in this. If you're going to work in this like this, you have to find it. You try to find that balance. I'm sorry if Tristan had something. I was going to no. Yeah, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Makes sense to me. Not too. at all. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I'm just wondering. Do you guys know how many days you project your shoots to spend? That's going to be right now. We've got it at eighteen to twenty. Uh, I'm looking at the twenty days. We will be a SAG shoot, a uh, non-union cruise shoot. Uh, I know you you talked about finance a lot. Um, did you uh, did you have any thoughts on doing like crowdfunding at all? So we originally were looking into that, and. Um, you know, it happens a little bit here and there from uh, – we have another producer on board by the name of Jeremy Settles with Got Films, and he's done a little bit of that. And it works sometimes, but most of the time it doesn't. Uh, we were looking into that until Mr. Mosley came on board. His agent made it very clear that they don't take – they don't participate in crowdfunding with films that do crowdfunding. So we immediately backed off from all of that. Oh. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, John, on crowdfunding in general? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't name any names, but uh, I uh, got on board uh, with a film uh, a few years ago that they were doing crowdfunding, and they were using uh, our names, uh in order to boost their fundraising, which I understood, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they pretty quickly got their whole budget, you know, within like a year or something. Uh, they had the funding to roll on this film. And I said, so when are we going to shoot? And he goes, well, we've decided uh, we have another script that we're going to shoot first. Um, and then the next film we do will be this this one here. So, and, and of course, the the second film never happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I so I was used to raise money for a film I wasn't even in. Yeah. So I I don't know what my point is, except I'm well, leery about I'm leery about those. People. Yeah, because it it because uh, I'm sure the majority of people are honest and you know do the right thing. But then when you have a story right. like that, it it really gives a bad name to it, and people don't want to to get involved. Uh, I know I gave right. not a lot of money, but I gave money to something, and I never got the stuff I was supposed to get. The movie was made and everything, and it really made me never want to you know help, 
unfortunately to help out, you know, um, financially to, to another project. I found, uh, actually, uh, dead Dick Hammer. <laughs> found well, a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, uh, found a t-shirt that they used to raise money for that film and like the, 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 uh, uh, the Goodwill store in Glasgow, Kentucky, and he bought it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you got something out of the deal eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah eventually. <laughs> he bought it for uh, a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that's happened to me twice now. Once with that film, which was called Shudder, I think. And another one... Uh, what do call Crazy Fat Ethel? The hell of a name, I was supposed to be on. A, <laughs> That's a great name. As a detective in that in that film, and uh, Noosh Manoush Pasquez uh, was going to be on as a, a Fat Ethel's sister, and there was somebody else. And they used our name to raise all this money. Then I heard nothing from them, and then, like, three years later, they released this film, Crazy Fat Ethel, with none of us in it. <laughs> so, it, see, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, like, uh, you know, the idea, like you said, you understand, you know, if they use uh, your name or, you know, anyone's name right. from, from right. a horror movie to help fund the movie, you know, to get interest in it. Right. You get that, and you, and you want to yeah, help out. Right. But then it makes you leery of, of getting involved, even if you would like to, uh, when things like that happen, which hurts yeah. everybody. Yeah, so I think twice about it now. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, I, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm really happy that, uh, that John even took the meeting when, when Tim, you know, I, told, I basically told Tim the, just the basic outline of the story of what I thought. And, uh, and, uh, when I actually reached out to John and he was welcoming to speak with me and read the script, uh, and I have to admit that was a very tense time for me. I was scared he was going to come back and go, oh, this is the biggest piece of crap. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the response was that he absolutely loved it and, and you know, and what part? And you know, what part? I, uh, I told him, I said, yeah, I kind of see you as playing Crawford, and uh, and from there it was just, you know, hey, hang in there. We're going to get the money somehow, some way. We're going to make this movie. And John has been there and has hung in with this film from jump. And I want to say that in front of the audience, long before uh, a lot of people, when it was just me and him and Katie Lynn. Were the only, those were the only two people that were like, wow. you know, read it and read it and were, and were like, we're in, you know, and I said, okay, you know, it's going to be a long, bumpy ride, but, you know, uh, we'll eventually get there. And uh, now here we are today, and it's like, we're just, you know, so close, just just right here. And and uh, we have a great potential. I think, like Eric said, I think the film actually has potential to do uh, things that we never, or that we can't even imagine right now. Uh, I think it can go places and do things that uh, it, it has that, it has that kind of 
vibe and feel to it that it can just go and uh and you know we can tell it we're, we're, told. we're not trying to do anything revolutionary here we just my thing is is you know a lot of filmmakers and whatnot to have themes and messages and things i just want to tell cool stories that get you away from this world a couple hours um what they do and however they influence you that's that's you know the viewer's choice but my thing is just to bring a little bit of a escapism from everything that's going on and hopefully you walk out of this thing going that was freaking cool i really like that you know and if i get that then i know we've done our job yeah. um, and i know you're a horror say, video, if it was, yeah. go on sorry mike i'm sorry no, 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 I was going to say this. It's just that they have fun, man. Get their, I eat their popcorn yeah. you know, and sit there and enjoy Make movies that's, fun that's, again. Yeah, you make know? them fun. It's an experience. Go have fun at it, you know? Yeah. Well, interesting enough, we're talking about, you know, movies that don't fit into a genre and they don't want to make it, but like the original blockbusters right there behind you, Jaws, and that's a movie that people right. still argue what genre it is. I mean, is it a drama? Is it a horror movie? People say it's not horror. People say, I mean, at the end of the day, what, what difference does it make? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a great movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it stands the test of time, you know, and there's a, I mean, how many really, I mean, you can, everybody has that list in their head, but there's just certain films that everybody agrees on. One of the you movies know. why, I, that's one of the reasons why I'm talking to you today about movies. <laughs> why I'm with all this, because yeah. that film right there. So, yeah. yeah. I live very close by to where it was filmed. Uh, oh really? Yeah, I'm on Cape Cod, and it's, I've actually never been to the uh -huh. to the islands. I don't know why. Even really? By him, but yeah. Well, man. Oh well. Don't go swimming out there, man. It's true. <laughs> this summer there was <laughs> actually there's actually uh, I should get some pictures. There's actually this summer there was signs there uh, about the sharks because there's yeah. a lot of great whites here this summer off the Cape. Huh? Yeah, I heard about that. There's a lot of off the Cape. There was quite a few. So. Yeah. Oh, where is the where is the island? What is the island? Uh, Martha, Martha's Vineyard. Vineyard. Yeah. yeah. Oh, There's two islands off. You've never been out to the. You've never been out to the vineyard. No, I've uh, yeah. never been to Vineyard or. You live uh, on the Cape, and you've never been. You live on a fucking Cape, and you've never been to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> I, no, I have not. <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of thinking. In the same thing, John. I'd be like, shit, I'd be hanging out there all the time. That'd be the first place I'd go check out. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, yeah. I'd be one of those. Yeah. I'd probably be one of those. I, in my back a few years ago, I'd been one of those assholes that would be running around out there swimming and then suddenly start screaming shark just to watch everybody run out of the water. Yeah. Uh, that's not I'd not be thrown funny. in jail. Yeah. <laughs> that's really not funny shit. Shark! <laughs> God no! Oh, it's a little. It's a little. It's a little funny. John's dropping out of the movie now. <laughs> oh! <laughs> uh, where can you like? Uh, if people are interested, where can they go to uh, see see what's uh, going on with the movie? Where can they follow you guys? Uh, they can follow us on Facebook uh, at uh, at Bluesman Movie. I think it's on there. The Bluesman Movie, and then uh, we have a website. Uh, www.thebluesmanmovie.com and they can go there and check out all the actors and there's links uh, to you know like they can check out the Bill Mosley thing and it's got a link to his website and there's links to all the different things on there and uh, we have some swag you can go get t-shirts and hats and 
Nude pictures of me. Oh, <laughs> nude photos of me. Those are on sale. I already have them all over my phone. <laughs> oh no, go no. Oh, that's all we need. That's all we need. It's grandpa swinging. Uh, no. You know, he's got, he's when got I the was hammer doing, again. Uh, yeah. well, I did chainsaw 3D. When I, uh, I was doing a, I was at a con in Indianapolis. But maybe the one where where we met, no? Where you and I and your brother, uh, remember when we were set up in the hallway? Yeah, right. Yeah, doing your podcast. Uh huh. At uh, Days of the Dead in Indianapolis. Yeah, like three a.m. Anyway, in the John, uh, John, whatever his name was. Uh, the director of Chainsaw 3D gave me a personal phone call to welcome me to the uh, to the cast. And I said, hey, I'm at a convention right now, you know. Uh, I'm telling everybody about it. He's like, oh, good, good, great. <laughs> I said, this is going to be in 3D, right? And he goes, yeah. He said, I've got a great idea for a 3D shot. <laughs> what is it? I said... I said, how about Grandpa's balls? <laughs> no, they swing out over the audience. And it's got like one, it's got one slightly long gray hair on it. And it just swings out over the audience and back. Dead fucking silence on the other end of the phone. Not a peep. I said, John, John. I was kidding, man. He was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> that sounds like many conversations I have. I was to tell people I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see the John Dugan cut of uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D. <laughs> if William Castle was alive, you could, he would have a field day with that. <laughs> First movie I ever saw was a uh, horror film I ever saw was uh, Tingler. Was that William Castle? Yeah, yeah, yep. With with the uh, electric uh, in the in the chair. He rigged. Yeah, he rigged the seats with low voltage wiring and shit. Uh-huh. Then we did that in big cities, though, not little towns like I, you know, was from. Yeah, but that movie. There's a scene in that film where the tingler gets loose in a movie theater, <laughs> and my sister and her friends had ditched me as soon as we got to the movie theater. They were just gone. So sitting alone in this dark movie theater with strangers, and that scene with the tingler is loose in a the movie theater. It scared the ever-loving shit out of me. <laughs> trying, to, trying to keep my feet up off the floor and everything. And <laughs> oh. That is one thing with doing this Blues Man movie um, and going back to the when we get to the horror part of the film, I'm kind of doing more of a throwback to Jaws and to Texas Chainsaw and uh, the classic horror films where less is more. What you don't see is 
is more powerful than what you do see. Um, and uh, number one, we were doing that because of budgetary reasons. But number two, I just like it better um, when you don't see the monster as much or you just barely see a little bit of the monster. And um, and so that's that's one of the, the cool things that we're doing as far as uh, another throwback to Texas Chainsaw and, you know, the classic horror films. You know, I mean, think about Hellraiser, the first Hellraiser. You don't see Pinhead, but I think four or five times in the film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, That's why I all, think it's funny uh, people really? mention some of the later ones they don't like because he's not in it very much, and I just think they're not very good movies. But because you don't even you barely see he's barely not really a main character in the first movie or, or the book either. Right, right. Or or look at Jaws. Jaws is a classic example. You don't see the shark really until the last third of the film. I mean, they hint toward him here and there, but you hardly see him at all. And so that's another thing that we're kind of going back to on, on this. Well, he has that music. Oh, that was he, a, he has the, the music. Song. Yeah. Yeah. The music. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, of course, you know, I get so many people say they don't notice music in movies and Jaws is one of the first ones I always point out. I was like, really? You didn't recognize that? You know? <laughs> yeah. They me um, came yeah, up yeah, earlier. This, another one. Yeah. Halloween. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, one of the producers of uh, Halloween, I can't remember. He said when they did the screenings or the original screenings, <clears throat> he said he was in the back of the theater. And he said after about the third or fourth audience or whatever, uh, or over several days, he said he started noticing that they were doing this instead of this. They were doing this. Mm-hmm. Because he and he and he got and after they was like, what are they doing? So he gets in the in the lobby and as they're coming out, he just grabbed and he goes, "What is what? What are we?" He goes, "Oh, the sound is so much scarier than what your is on the screen." Yeah, I mean, there's a story and, but about but you put them to put but you put them together and yeah. it's and it's like, you know, there's a story yeah, like yeah. when he showed so the they, movie before they added the score to Halloween, like people just thought there was nothing of like, it, and then when they had the score, right. oh it, yeah, it really made the movie. And again, that's going to be really important in our film, the score and the music, you know, I mean, they, they, movie music helps you feel what you're watching in the film, whether you realize it or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine watching the Star Wars movies and never listening to John Williams scores. You're watching those, you know, it's just yeah, so. As soon as it opens, uh, it starts, you know, you, you feel like this is something. Or, or movies with great soundtracks. Mm-hmm. You know, Top Gun yeah. with a great soundtrack, Dirty Dancing, great soundtrack. Imagine those songs not being in those films, you know. So that's something that we're heavily relying on for this film. And so far, everything's been beyond my expectations and beyond anything I imagine that we could get at this point. So, yeah. Do you have any Anyways. plans when you think you'll be filming? So as soon as the financing is complete, we're in we're, – we're going to be filming within three to four weeks after that. I'm hoping by early next year with what's going on right now. So. And you got to film in Texas. We're shooting all yep. of it down in, in Texas. Yes. Uh, AJ says, hello. He's enjoying the show. And so is shout. Hey, So, uh, do you have another question, Trista? Yeah, can you guys tell us more about uh, Midnight Strikes films? Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go, Eric. Okay. Go, baby. 
So I uh, was in the business for a while, and then I got out of it for about 14 years back in 2006. And in summer of 2018, my little nephew came down to stay with me for this for a week. And he was 12 at the time, and he started asking questions about Uncle Eric being involved in the movie business years ago and was interested. And so I decided to pull out an old box that I had with all my short films and my my music videos I'd done and scripts I had and we were going through everything and he was just super excited, smiling. And he turned to me and goes, uncle Eric, why don't you start doing this again? You know, you're really good at this. <laughs> I had no intention of doing it, but boy, it sparked something in me. And right after that, I just got the fire again to want to do it. And so um, in 2019, I spent the year writing screenplays, uh, developing uh, films. And what's kind of funny is, is that, you know, years ago I was involved with, developing horror films and whatnot. And when I got back into everything, I wanted to do fun, happy, feel-good films. And so I was writing romantic comedies and comedies at the time when Blues Man came along and fell into my lap and with uh, with Mike. And so uh, at that point, I had lost all my con- connections in LA. Most of them had retired or some passed away. Some weren't in the business anymore. And you know, just hadn't spoken to people in 14, 15 years. And I had no idea how I was going to get going on this. And so it took just months to even come up with a production company because everything in the world is taken out there. You, you come up with an idea, Google it or go to IMDb and it's, it's on there. And one night I came up with midnight strikes films and looked up, nothing was out there. And I went and immediately everything. And, um, so we started that off. Uh, I want to say it was in May of 2019. Mike came on board. Larry, the master came on board. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just at this point, we're developing multiple projects. Uh, we don't want to be stuck in just one genre. So we are doing other genres with that production company. And uh, this is something that we're looking at doing for the next five to 10 years. Uh, we want to get the Blues Man made. And then we have a romantic comedy called Famously Unknown that we we're planning on following up. It's kind of night and day from blues man blues man's a dark story that's a fun feel good happy romantic comedy um and then we have some politically incorrect comedies that we're working on uh one's called stray cats and hungry wolves based on my short film barflies i did years ago and uh another one called um uh my dad arlo and me and uh mike i'll let you tell him about that because that's kind of your baby but um, uh, yeah. we've got multiple projects that we're doing. So this isn't just like a one film deal. Um, but the Blues Man is kind of going to be our first film to, to make the mark for, for where we're starting on this. And hopefully that'll be very soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thanks uh, to our mutual friend, Shannon, for uh, he's helping uh, get the word out. And yes. He's been sharing on. Yeah. Yes. Thank page. you, Shannon. Good guy. Super nice guy. And again, if you want to learn more about us, you can, you know, check out our websites, thebluesmanmovie.com or midnightstrikesfilms.com. We have a website for that as well. Right. Cool. Well, this has been fun, and we'll do it again, uh, you know, when the movie's uh, about to be made or after it's made or or all those or all the above. Take you up on all. Well, yeah. We'll take you (laughs) up on, yeah, every one of those. Uh, and we appreciate you having us on now and, and helping us get the word out there. And it means a lot to us. It yes, it to me, especially it, it, it's, it's, it means a lot. So thank you, Neil. Thank you, Tristan. Thank you, uh, John. 
And uh, while I have the opportunity, I want to I want to say to everybody that's associated with us right now, thank you so much for having faith and believing in us. Yes, absolutely. For so long, and stick with us. We're 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 on the cusp of something very special. We really are. John, do you have any final words? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's just go make a movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. get it on, man. Let's get it on. Abs- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, we're good. Well, well good thank to you, see everybody. Well, yeah. Thank you, Tristan. Welcome. Nice thank to you see guys for you, doing Neil. It. You as well. Yeah, hang loose, man. Bye. <laughs> All right. See ya. Bye. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old-world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. we should have The tomb of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming.